0: Sasswut is a podcast about Bigfoot. It's recorded for the skeptics, the believers, the knowers, and those who just have a casual interest in the subject. For more information, visit SASWAT.com. This is Sasswet, a podcast about Bigfoot. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Seth Breedlove, and I'm joined tonight by my pal Mark Matske. Greetings from Southeast Ohio, the world capital of frozen
1: Bigfoot. And football. And football, (laughs) yeah. I should probably football
0: first, if we were to do that the right way. Yeah, I mean you have to order of importance. You know, hilariously enough, I've only been to the Pro Football Hall of Fame one time, oh, wow. and I mean, I lived maybe three blocks from it <laughs> at at one point for for over a year. And obviously, I mean, I grew up twenty minutes away from it. So yeah, I've been there one time. My grandma took me. Did you do the thing uh, where you threw
1: the footballs through the the little target things? Did this did they have This that? was like
0: decades ago. Okay. I mean, I can't I can't even remember what I was. I Back just know when it that was one I, room. <laughs> Yeah, what I really wanted to do was go home and play with my Game Boy. <laughs> yeah. That's what I remember. Um, Why are we here? To, yeah. What is this, sports? <laughs> uh, uh, tonight we're talking about the Minnesota Iceman. The, uh, you, know, you know what? I'm going to let Mark explain what the Minnesota Iceman is, because I think Mark has a probably a much more uh, substantial knowledge of this whole Case than I do, but this was spurred on by a letter we got, and I actually forgot to mention this to you in the pre-show, Mark. Mm-hmm. We, we I got to give some credit here to to our letter writer. Yeah, please do. Um, which was? Let me see. I have the letter right here. Uh, nope, that's the wrong letter. Zach Zach Moore suggested doing a a letter on the Minnesota Iceman. Actually, I don't know. Did we read this letter on the show? I don't think so. I'm going to read it now just in case I didn't read it before. So Zach Moore wrote way back at the beginning of March, and I don't think we read it on the show. So I'm going to go ahead and read it. And he asked a question that I'm going to answer, too. Uh, He says, I found your podcast via your guest spots on The Bigfoot Show and became an instant fan. I appreciate the frequency of episodes and the wide range of discussion topics. Two questions for you. One, I see your podcast feed only goes back to episode 20. Is there somewhere to listen to the episodes before that? Uh, that would be saswat.podbean.com. Um, they're also on the blog, which I haven't updated uh, since like episode 30 something. So I need to go do that. That's saswat.com and I need to update that though. The The deal with saswat on Podbean is apparently they only archive on iTunes through the most recent 20 episodes, which is a pain in the butt. And one thing I did not realize when I signed up with Saswat or with Podbean. So I'm going to need to try to figure out something there because if I was, I'm an, I listen to everything in iTunes. So that would drive me crazy. Um, So I'm going to try to find out if I can get a better hosting plan through them or something to get all those episodes archived in iTunes. Um, But uh, in the meantime, go to Saswat.podbean.com dot com and all the archived shows are on there. And you should be able to download them. Um but in the meantime, I'm terribly sorry about that though to anyone who listens through to through iTunes, which is probably a pretty decent amount of our listeners. I guess I never realized that until we <laughs> until we hit like episode forty and someone wrote me about it and then I was like, oh look. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh question number two have you done an episode on the Minnesota Iceman? It's been one of my favorite stories in cryptozoology ever since I saw it featured on Unsolved Mysteries. I actually got to see it in person at the Museum of the Weird in Austin, Texas about a year ago. As cool as it was to see this icon of cryptozoology up close and in person, I must say it looked a lot faker than I'd imagined. The head and torso were disproportionately large in relation to the rest of the body, and the face just looked off. Of course, I don't know if this was the original or the alleged copy, assuming there was more than one to begin with, but that's my input from my personal experience, and I'd love to hear your take on the whole Iceman thing. I cannot believe I didn't even realize that that letter had been sent in, so I'm glad I uh, caught that so we could go back and and uh, catch that. We got another letter I don't think I ever read. What has happened to me? I'm going to read this one, too, real yeah, quick. Yeah, read it. Um uh, this one was back on March 7th. Craig Engelman wrote, um, let me make sure he doesn't ask me not to say his name. No. Uh, I hate running on treadmills to stay in shape during the winter, but I discovered your podcast and look forward to working out when I can listen to a couple of episodes of what You mentioned on a recent episode the possibility of doing a show on the psychology of hoaxers. I think that's a great idea. I would love to hear about the methods you used and why they were ferreted out as hoaxes. Keep it up. Love the show. Thanks, Craig in Texas. Craig, we just did that. Hopefully you enjoyed that show. Um, and yeah, I'm just real quick looking back through our Letters to make sure we didn't get something else I missed We got a letter from Sean Brown inviting us to come Bigfooting in the Smoky Mountains I love <laughs> the Smokies Yeah, So uh, I will do that someday um, But yeah Thanks to both of those letter writers And here's your Minnesota Iceman no, show the Minnesota
2: Zach. Minnesota Iceman entombed in a glass Topped coffin he was the star Exhibit in a traveling show which Drew astonished crowds in the late 1960s Keeper of the corpse, Frank Hansen, claimed it had been found locked in an ice floe off Siberia in the Sea of Okhotsk. For the show, the ice was painstakingly pared down over the body.
0: So, uh, Mark, take it away. Tell us about the Iceman. The
1: Iceman is one of those stories that the more you dig in, the more confusing it becomes, and uh, the more layers there are, and uh, each question raises more questions, but... The thing that I found intriguing is that the story really begins in 1967, and in many ways there's parallels between the Iceman story and Patterson-Gimlin. But as you're probably aware, we've come to a a place in time now where the PG film is really regarded, I think, as, um, if not boilerplate, then pretty pretty strong evidence whereas the Iceman is not and some of that has to do with context and some of that has to do with the character of the people involved what's really interesting is we we'll, when we get into it is that you know we'll see <laughs> attached to the Iceman story is something that almost never happens which is actual uh, scientific peer-reviewed journal publication regarding Um, this, the piece of evidence in question. And so that is, for me, sort of spilling the beans. That's sort of the fly in the ointment when you talk about the Iceman. Because otherwise, it would seem pretty cut and dried to me, Seth, that this is just uh, tomfoolery to the nth degree. But we have the, uh, you know, the inconvenient character of Bernard Huvelman who got to see that, and... uh, gave his impressions of it. But you know, it starts in 67 with uh, a young man by the name, last name of Cullen who evidently saw Frank Hansen displaying in a rather large coffin, uh, frozen in a block of ice, what appears to be a caveman, and that's sort of how it was billed at first, sort of a caveman or a missing link in places like state fairs and uh, stock fairs and exhibitions and Hansen was also displaying an old John Deere tractor that he had refurbished and Colin tried to get the attention of some mainstream anthropologists and they really were not that interested uh, for various reasons. Finally he was able to get in contact with Ivan Sanderson and tell him about what was going on in this exhibition and it just so happened that at that time, uh, Bernard Heuvelman was a house guest of Ivan Sanderson. And so they were either invited or Sanderson prevailed upon uh, Cullen to try and allow Hansen to, so, so they could come and see for themselves what was in this block of ice, which ended up happening. And they were invited to come to Minnesota to see the creature. Uh, who they, for whatever reason, Sanderson and Huvelman uh, termed bozo. <laughs> and they spent three days taking an in-depth look at what was behind the ice. Uh, Sanderson very famously sketched the figure that they saw, and that's appeared. that sketch has appeared in more Bigfoot books than you can shake a stick at with the hand sort of thrown up over the head. And they gave a very, very detailed description of what they saw, including such details as a, a broken arm with protruding bones and uh, one eyeball hanging out of its socket, the other eye missing altogether, uh, the teeth, uh, even uh, genitalia were noticed and remarked upon. And Huvelman and Sanderson both came to the conclusion. Fairly rapidly, I think it should be mentioned, that this was uh, an authentic cadaver that they were looking at.
2: Zoologist Bernard Hovelmans has spent a lifetime on the track of unknown animals. By chance, he was staying with a colleague in America when the Minnesota Iceman was revealed. They hastened to examine it. There was no doubt that we were looking at some sort of man not homo sapiens but some sort of strangely hairy man we were struck by many things the enormous hands and the enormous feet and also more especially the features of the face because it was absolutely unlike any man on and Earth. the
1: thing that evidently sealed the deal for them is that heuvelman got a a lamp close to the glass case and I don't know if there's a reaction of the the heat against the cold but some cracks developed in the glass that allowed some scent to come up through uh, the glass and it was a very pungent putrescent odor that caused them both to think that I what we're smelling is rotting flesh therefore what we're dealing with here is a real live body of something and so they worked very hard for those three days to uh, try and document what exactly they were looking at. Following that experience, um, uh, Frank Hansen, you know, who allowed them to view this, uh, view Bozo in the ice, he was, for whatever reason at that time, he, wanted, he didn't want them to talk about what they had seen very much, allegedly. And he had some very interesting origin stories about where this body had come from. All of, you know, and, and the basic idea being that the body encased in ice was purchased in Hong Kong by a millionaire owner, again, with uh, alleged ties to Hollywood. And I'll bring that up a little bit later, some speculation as to the identity of that person. But they wanted to remain anonymous. They leased out the body to Hanson so that he could exhibit it in various places, mostly in the Midwest, uh, Minnesota, Illinois, your your heartland states, to see what the reaction would be uh, for the public to see this sort of missing link type, you know, uh, missing link evidence for. The the idea being that the owner of the body, this millionaire with ties to Hollywood, uh, was also... A strong creationist, and uh, without getting too much attention, wanted to see what average American would think about proof that perhaps evolution was real. and it's all gets very convoluted, um, and that story would change over time, by the way, that Hansen uh, would tell yep. about it. but yeah, um, by uh, for in the initial um, exposure, you know Hansen, this was pretty much his story. Um, that he was doing this at the behest of a mysterious figure and he didn't really want a lot of publicity and what did Sanderson and Huvelman do? Well they turned around and wrote articles about it and put it out there and he, he, what I was talking about before is Huvelman actually was so impressed by what he saw that he wrote everything down and, and wrote out this study and it was published in a peer-reviewed scientific journal in Belgium which You know, today there's all this talk, of course, about DNA and journals and things. But this actually happened in, I believe it was 1969. That may be off. But in that general time vicinity. And Sanderson, of course, was uh, a master at working the media to get these stories out there. So that attracted the attention of uh, John Napier of the Smithsonian. And he wanted to... uh, to kind of send out some feelers. He sent somebody else really to, to make inquiries, I, I guess. And uh, interestingly, it was an ornithologist. It was an interesting choice of a person <laughs> to get involved. But then there, there's some questions as to the FBI becoming involved in the investigation as well, although officially those all t- end up being you know, when you read the, the footnotes and so forth, it says the FBI really wasn't interested that much. But that may have caused Hansen to adjust his story somewhat and adjust the the actual figure that was in the ice because as, as rapidly as consciousness grew about the Iceman, suddenly it was gone and it wasn't being displayed and nobody knew what had happened to it. And it was only... Uh, I think a, a year or so later, that the Iceman resurfaced in the same sort of places, state fairs, shopping malls, and so forth. But it very quickly became apparent that this was not the original, or at least it seemed that it wasn't the original. At any rate, it was in a different position than the original had been. And, uh, you know, there, are, there's, I guess... Uh, Photographs that have been taken and comparisons made of at least 15 differences in posture between the figure as it was originally displayed and the second that's sometimes referred to as the model or the copy. And, you know, what what Hansen was pretty upfront about was that this was a a model. Uh, This was a copy that was now being shown, that the at first, the story was the original owner didn't want to display it anymore for reasons all his own. And uh, some people have suggested that, that uh, you know, Hansen, it, it gets really <laughs> convoluted and conspiratorial, but that uh, anything from uh, Disney Productions had some hand in creating the copy or the model, all the way down to Hansen later on admitted that he himself shot the creature in the North. Yeah.
0: And yeah, I want to talk about yeah. that change. Yeah. Cause, cause that the, the backstory of how he came into possession of this thing is, is wacky. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so uh, you said that there was a Hollywood connection here and this is something I want to bring up because I find it to be one of the most fascinating parts of the story because I'm a big fan of those, uh, those stories about the Yeti hand and Jimmy Stewart. Mm -hmm. And again, we have a Jimmy Stewart connection here where, where some people tend to believe that the, the person who actually came into possession of this, that handed it off uh, to, to uh, Hanson would have been Jimmy Stewart. And the thinking there is that Jimmy Stewart was always traveling. He was obviously because of his connection with Tom Swift who funded so many of the early expeditions to look for Yeti and Bigfoot that it could have been somehow, is there any thinking behind the Jimmy Stewart connection beh- besides the fact that he traveled a lot and he was in Hollywood and he was a millionaire or is that,
1: <laughs> well, is that those are very important points and that's, that's right. why the speculation tilts that way. But it's also the idea that, uh, Jimmy Stewart was in fact a, uh, uh, a pretty faithful Christian, by all accounts, and held to a creationist perspective and He wanted to see what heartland America would think if a missing link was put in front of them that 's as the story goes that mm-hmm. seems like a very strange way to test the waters and i you know mm-hmm. i it, as fascinating as a story as the story is. It seems to me to be a, a very complicated way to to gauge public opinion, you know. Yeah,
0: and then Hanson's story changes, and suddenly it was he shot it while on an expedition in where where did he claim he shot it? It was in like Canada or something, wasn't it? Canada or northern Wisconsin or somewhere, uh, somewhere okay. north. Okay.
1: And some of those stories put Cullen with him in the hunting party, who is mm-hmm. the man who alerted. You know Sanderson in the first place,
0: so I'm uh, not sure what to make of that either. This this story crops up every few years. I mean, it's it'll it'll come out. it'll It'll be big for a little while. There'll be some new piece of information that comes out. I I remember last year it was big on Facebook because it it had at that point become sort of part of this government conspiracy thinking. I'm not sure how. I don't know if you're aware of how it became part of that whole conspiracy idea. Um, do you have any, did you read any of that stuff? Well, I didn't not so much read. that
1: as really the the personal ramifications for Hansen. You okay. know, assuming that he really did shoot a creature, then the thinking goes he was afraid of, of what might happen to him, especially when he heard the FBI might be getting involved. And that's the motivation, according to this line of thinking, for him changing it from the original to a copy or a model, is so, that that's... he sort of freaked out. But then some people have suggested that it, it's not a, a copy or a model at all, that he could have conceivably let the body, you know, let the ice thaw a little bit, reposition the thing, and then freeze it up again. Although I don't know how you do that, really. You know, it just makes me wonder... Where do you do all this
2: thawing and freezing and stuff? It's, it's, it's wild. It gets really wild I'm after a while. Uh, this uh, creature had been uh, killed because the one eye was completely missing and the other was hanging out of the socket. And it had blood all around, so we thought it was probably shot in one eye and the bullet made the other eye pop out. At first, Heuvelmans had expected a fake, but now he believes the Iceman was genuine. From seeing it, there is no question that the Iceman could be a hoax, uh, a faked dummy, rubber dummy, or what have you, as they, they told in the press, when you have seen something. We examined this creature for three days, very carefully, and we were very suspicious, I can tell you, at the start. But after a while, that was quite ruled out. No, there is absolutely no doubt for me that I have been examining a Neanderthal man, a surviving Neanderthal man.
0: On the surface, this is like the the most obvious thing ever. You've got a carne showman who does is exhibiting this uh, showpiece basically to make some money. How does it even become? something that's taken seriously. I guess when you introduce the Sanderson and and Huevelmans or Huvel Huvel Huavel Huevos Rancheros uh when you introduce Huevos Rancheros and Sanderson into it then suddenly everything's different I guess, but I still think just that alone, the fact that Sanderson was a showman should be cause for a little bit more skepticism, um, and I'm sure I know there's a lot of different stories that that are flying around about the origin of this thing. But it's all just speculation and stories. The only thing we really know is that this guy had an exhibit, mm-hmm. and Sanderson and Huvelman. Uh, Huvelman, Heu- how do you say it? Huvelman. 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 I have been known to Heu- say it. Huvelman. See, I say Huvelman. <laughs> This is going to drive me crazy. Uh th- those guys took it seriously. Yeah. That's really all we know. Right. Um there there isn't this stuff about Jimmy Stewart and all the rest of it. It's just speculation and and side story and you know, he said she said stuff. It's none of it is categorical fact. Mm-hmm. We can't, fig- you know, I don't think there's any way. And and even I was reading where um his wife his um uh Hansen's wife was asked after his death, and she said he took it to the grave. They don't know. They never knew. Mm-hmm. The son, his son, didn't know, and his wife never knew. Right. So well, and was as it know. was
1: mentioned in the letter. Then this comes up again with the evidence sale of whatever it is in the ice to Austin's Museum of the Weird, and mm-hmm. that made a splash, a minor splash in media circles. And it was reported that it was the original creature that was in the ice, which I found to be uh, extremely strange, um, mm-hmm. especially because what appeared in you know, photographs of that didn't seem to correspond very much at all to what we see in, this, in Sanderson's sketches and in uh, actual photographs that were obtained at that time. All of which leads to just, you know, absolutely muddy waters, you know. So it's just a, a, it ends up being a mess because <laughs> there, you're, there did, is just more questions, question after
0: question with this. Did you see? Um, okay, so am I wrong or didn't you see this thing? I almost saw it. I saw the outside okay, of
1: the, the display at uh, a shopping mall in Saginaw, Michigan. This would have been in the early 80s, and I, I i don't know. I just wasn't functioning that day, I guess, because I didn't go and look. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was making the rounds you know, still at that point in time.
0: Yeah. Um, physically, this thing apparently was more of a— Now, I, what I saw pictures of looked like a Bigfoot, but from what I was reading online, the the original— Iceman w- resembled a, a caveman. Yes, I mean it wasn't it wasn't necessarily a Bigfoot. So what right. am I seeing pictures of that looks like a Bigfoot? Well, that's the question: is what is okay. that? Because okay.
1: you know, Huvelman uh, was was convinced that what he was looking at was a Neanderthal. Uh, Sanderson didn't agree with that, but but you're right in in thinking that the original thing um, tended much more towards uh, caveman than it would. Sasquatch. You look at the pictures of what's in the Museum of the Weird today and it is very much sort of a like a reddish brown Bigfoot figure. Mm-hmm. And so it just it makes your head spin after a while because it just really does not look like the what is reportedly the original.
0: Right. Right. So, um wrap it up. Wrap wrap us up with the the Minnesota Iceman. Uh,
1: well, the Minnesota Iceman is legendary shall we say it's one of those americana yeah it is and you know there's a certain era of bigfoot Mm. literature that took that fairly seriously and it really did put Mm -hmm. that out there as evidence to be considered alongside of uh footprint tracks and the patterson gimlin film and i think the more that the story has been allowed to sort of simmer it's sort of been seen for what it is in context, which is to say an exhibition, a series of shifting stories and pseudo conspiracies, which people love fascinated by and like to spend time, you know, mulling over. And I really feel like it would be very easy to just slam the door on the coffin (laughs) and say that this is sort of a, a P.T. Barnum 20th century writ large example of what people are willing to believe except for good old Bernard and his, uh, his detailed eye and description of what he saw behind that ice along with uh, what he sensed, you know, using his senses in gathering the information. And in the very same breath that I say that, you have to temper that with the realization that, you know, this would be so earth shattering if it were true. And he might be thinking of this as a one in a, you know, once in a lifetime experience to be able to examine, uh, this block of ice and the inhabitant within. And that perhaps, you know, his enthusiasm got the better of him. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm not saying that he wasn't careful in his research. I'm sure he was, um, but I think you know, uh, like that infamous poster hanging in Fox Mulder's office. He probably wanted to believe, um, just as much as he was trying to rule things out and, uh, you know, have that skeptical scientific mind working. So, uh, if it if it were not for his involvement. I think we could pretty much write this up to a, a really good sort of late 20th century uh, tall tale but uh, uh involvement with it leaves just enough room open to think you know what what really was in that ice during the first year or so that it was being exhibited <laughs>
0: Join the conversation at facebook.com slash sasswatt. Find us on Twitter by using the hashtag #saswat or you can find me on Twitter at Seth Breedslove. Mark Matsky is on Twitter at Reverend Matsky. Send your letters to sasswattmail at gmail.com and leave us a rating and review on iTunes. <laughs>